continuing the stuck series. What about being stuck because we miss a tune with cultural marginalization? Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Hey, welcome back. It's great to be with you. It's kind of a day of coming full circle. We want to thank you for being with us as always. Uh, We crossed 300,000 downloads. So that's pretty exciting and uh, still somewhat surprising. <laughs> there you go. And so on our three, with our 300,000 downloads, um, we're kind of going back to the very first episode we ever recorded. It's, it's number three on the list on uh, where you get your uh, podcast episodes, but it was actually the first one we ever recorded mm-hmm. on the topic of marginalization. So I want to talk about this, how this can create stuckness. Let's go right to it. How does misattunement, with someone who has the experience in their overall life um, way of being in the world and culture, how does that possibly contribute to stuckness in a clinical situation, Dr. Hawkins? Yeah, man. Thanks, Ryan. And, you know, we one. This is kind of cool that it just came back around just like that with three hundred thousand going back to the first episode we ever recorded, even though it shows up as three. And we've also discussed this in episode thirteen and sixteen in different ways. But back to your question, how does it lead to stuckness in this series? Um, the ways I've seen it show up, and part of this also I want to give credit to people like Dr. Paul Guillory. You can find his uh, book on Amazon about EFT uh, with black couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Fionn Viotis uh, and Dr. Zamet Bedhi, who also collaborated with Dr. Jim Furrow and Dr. Leanne Campbell on what we call like the care model or the care framework. Um, but so going back to answer the question specifically, Part of the reason why I think this is important, you can become stuck in therapy when you do not invite the fullness of your client into the therapeutic process. Or, And when I say the fullness, the fullness of their experience. What we're saying here is we're not treating, um, when we say marginalization, while we're bringing that term specifically, we are, there is a part around ethnicity, things around race, there's religion, there's socioeconomic status and things of that nature. Mm But when we say marginalization, we're being specific with that. We're saying that there's an aspect of the person that at times has suffered wounds to their soul or humanity, and we need to invite that as a part and recognize, you know, how has that infected them interpersonally, and then how does that play out interpersonally? And when we don't, the client gets into a funny spot, Ryan, where they have to figure out, okay, this is something for me, but is this something my client would want, my therapist would want to be a part of? of the therapeutic process. Um, And so when we don't make that broach, we're putting the burden on them to have to figure out if they should bring it up or not. And so, you know, this is a line I took from you one time. There are many times we can lose, we can lose access to an important part of our client and not even know it. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and, and attachment, you know, is all about really a working model of self and working model of other. Yeah. So if everywhere I walk around, I have injuries. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about attachment injuries, mm-hmm. meaning between two people. But what about uh, overall attachment injuries to your working model of self? Ooh. And when there's when there's when I bring a really just a constant pattern of being injured, mm-hmm. man, 
that sets me up for all the things that happen in vicious cycles, I would think. Yeah, thank you for naming that so clearly, just to say it's about a wound to their model of self or an injury, mm-hmm. a distortion mm-hmm. of their model of self. That's good. Yeah. And I guess it could show up on on either kind of style, right? Mm-hmm. It could show up as someone who, right in the moment where their partner is hoping for a response, they go silent mm-hmm. as a manifestation of that injury of their model of self. Mm-hmm. Or it could have someone really revved up to say, I'm not going to be, that's not happening anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and they come forward with that blame energy, mm-hmm. kind of from almost a similar set of injuries. You think that's true? Oh, 100%. Like, like when you said that, it brought a case to my mind. Um, I was seeing an interracial couple. Uh, a, and yeah, it's, there's some sensitive languaging, so forgive me here, but I'm going to use the client's words, even okay. though it might land hard for you all. And when I say that, it's a Latina male, but the world sees him as white and so passes as white, which was different. Uh, but and married to a identifies as a black female. Um, and she said a key phrase. She's like, my partner's been really good and we've done well together. But then after a lot of the things with George Floyd and just what happened in society, I turned to reach towards my partner who's been there for me. And all of a sudden I was met with a different experience of them. Mm. All of a sudden they couldn't be with me in an, in an important aspect of who I am as, as a person. Mm. And she didn't know how to really reorient herself in the relationship with that. And now going back to how does that play out? So because she couldn't feel like he could lean in with her, it then shut her down emotionally from him. Lori and George would be glad to hear this next part I'm going to say. And then it also impacted their sexual cycle. And the way it played out for her was he can't come and meet me emotionally in this very hard place. That then impacts my ability to be sexually engaged with him, which then makes me feel bad because that's not fair to him. And I'm scared I'm going to lose him if I can't re-engage that part of me. Man. Man. I've heard you say that story before, but it lands differently for me today. Um, Because <laughs> you see all the different ways in which it plays out, right? Well, and, and someone, I have a PhD in systems theory, basically. And, and so look at what you just said. You got societal trauma, mm-hmm. which activates individual attachment history trauma. Yeah which activates relational attachment injury trauma, right? which activates sexual trauma cycles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. So that's I think that's a, a great case to highlight why we're putting this in the stuck series. Why not eliminating these variables? This is something Dr. Paul Guillory in the EFT world has been a great advocate for. We can't just eliminate these parts of our clients. And if we do, look at what I would have missed in this case if I was like, oh, well, you know, that's content. Right. You know, and just kind of move past. Tell me what it's like between the two of you. Right. I would have repeated what the cycle's already right. done. And for what her. society does. And there we go. Yeah. So now we've triggered the trigger, the trigger, the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Which normally I like yeah. that, but not in this case. No, no. This is the one place where we do not want triggers. Yeah. Uh, except for understanding theirs. But uh, in terms of something that we might introduce, not so much. So let's get this thing a little more practical yeah. coming up uh, after this quick break. Do you like the content that you're hearing on this podcast? Well, we invite you to join us on successandvulnerability.com, along with George Fowler and other EFT therapists and supervisors, where you get to get more thorough insight into these concepts and actually get to see it done. Once again, join us on successandvulnerability.com. 
All right, let's get practical here, you know, because for me, at least being somewhat transparent, the, the uh, seeing these concepts and wanting to make a difference comes pretty easy for me. You know, I grew up as a, as a, you know, white male. I, I say that with hesitation because I don't necessarily relate to all, all other kind of whites, white people or males, but, but other people are certainly going to see me that way. And, and I've personally seen overt forms of racism hundreds of times, even, mm-hmm. even racial fights. I didn't know that was actually unique until post-George Floyd when, when it was being discussed more and having lots of friends who never saw that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I can tell you for sure it exists. Mm-hmm. I've seen it myself. So, so seeing these problems is easy for me. Wanting to be a part of it is easy for me. Exactly what to do, not so easy. Yeah. Right? Because it's really easy to paralyze as a therapist. Yeah. And, and in an effort to not make it worse or not make myself look stupid mm-hmm. or, you know, be seen as something bad, mm-hmm. I, can, I can withdraw. I can disengage. You think that's pretty common? Yeah. And I'd like that you said it, even as we say it here, you know, me and Ryan always thank therapists for the hard work that they do. Uh, But that is really hard because I think therapists want to do no harm. And then the effort to do no harm, they don't realize how they could abandon in their very effort to not make a mistake. So I definitely think that's probably, I want to be careful how I say that, you know, I would say that's one of the more common ones I see when I consult with people. Is paralysis. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And, and, and so, kind of going, we're going to probably go to one of the practical ones. And many therapists just don't know how to broach well. Okay. Let's talk about broaching. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So with broaching, what we're meaning by that term is we as a therapist are going to take ownership for at least opening that up and exploring and allowing the client to give the story. So uh, one of the best examples I've seen just recently, I loved how she did it. I was training with Cindy Zane out in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Cindy is a great EFT trainer out of Hawaii. She, she's in May, I would say she's a great voice on this topic too, as I think the way Cindy kind of identifies as she's, and forgive me, Cindy, if I say it wrong, it's a Japanese Hawaiian woman, mm-hmm. right? And so Cindy did its thing where she asked a question, general, she'll say, hey, you know, kind of help me understand what are some significant ethnic or cultural variables about who you are that have shaped or how you identify as a person. That's one question. She listens, she takes it in and kind of raves it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is such a sacred part of who you are. Then her next question she goes into is, is as she gets that with both people, you know, and then what does that look like between you two in your relationship? Is it something significant? Is it an enriching thing for you two? Is it a place that that is that is maybe a place y'all can't talk about? or it doesn't intertwine. Um, And then she makes it into a relational kind of attachment frame there. And depending on her answer, then leads her to the next place. Mm. So, but that's a way, that's her way of broaching into with two general kind of questions. What does that look like between the two of you or with no, sorry, first one is personally, what are some maybe ethnic or cultural kind of identities or variables that are important to who you are as a person? And then how does that play out in your relationship between the two of you? And the key to broaching, though, that I like about it, let me be specific, is one, Cindy is, I'm going to ask the question. I'm not just going to lay back and wait. Two, she lets them own their words from the beginning. She doesn't She doesn't come in like, well, you know, kind of like, I know what it's like to be a black mm-hmm. person or this, or this is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. It's you tell me what that means for you. How does that impact who you are and how you see yourself as a person? 
how does that play out for you and your relationship? So she lets them own their story from the beginning, which I think is important for broaching. Mm-hmm. You bring it up and get the client's words and context. Yeah, the broaching concept's real helpful for me, you know, to to have someone who can have some paralysis or fear will be a better way to say it. I don't want to make this worse or make myself look stupid. You know, that, and it's pretty consistent in the literature. Mm-hmm. So, some version of the, the concept of broaching. Robert mm-hmm. Allen, Sandra Taylor talk yep. about this with our LGBTQ fellow professionals and, and community folks. Um, and, and the importance of, of just opening a space for it. Yep. And knowing that's risky. Alana Katz, who's passionate about this, says the therapist has to take the risk. That's right. And because we can repair if we miss. But to not take the risk, again, it... it brings up the possibility of doing just what the world has done to this person. And that's too much of a risk. That's right. Stepping on someone's toes and saying something awkward and stupid is probably forgivable, particularly if you care. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the notion of not broaching uh, puts people in quite a bind. That's right. You know, and and you just define this for us. Like, as we often say on this podcast, there's two ditches, one on each side of the road. We want to stay out of both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, and one ditch would be this notion that, Attachment is universal and we're colorblind or, mm-hmm. or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're LGBTQ plus or LGBTIA plus um, because that leaves that person in mm-hmm. the bind. Mm-hmm. The other ditch that we want to avoid, though, is being such an expert at this that now what we're doing is bringing forth stereotypes. That yeah. is also marginalizing. Yeah. 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 So I was trying so, to find our integrity in the middle. I want to deal with that one. But then I also want to go back to what I liked about Cindy's approach to that. I think... And one thing I do appreciate that, you know, the EFT world, we struggle with this at the, at first and how to talk about it, you know. But what I like about Cindy's approach is that's her assessment question for every client. Mm-hmm. Now, now on this one, we are talking about marginalization as a particular factor. But Cindy's doing that even if I want to go ahead right. to the norm, like if it's a cisgender, heterosexual, white couple, right. Cindy's still going to ask it because right. for them, hey, I need to know, you know, Ryan and Ann. Are there any ethnic or cultural variables that are important to how you identify? And then Ryan and Ann get to say what that is and how does that play out for you two? And maybe you say like, well, it's our faith and that it's an enriching part of who we are and brings us together. I think there's such wisdom in that. I mean, you could argue that not doing that is marginalizing, you know, but, but it, it, I can also make space for that can feel a little awkward if, 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 if there's no apparent marginalization there. Yeah. And you can even get some looks from people sometimes, like, what are you talking about? But see, I like this, because the part there, and when Cindy's asking, she's not even asking for, how are you marginalized, or are right. aspects of you marginalized? Right. But when she goes into the interview, she's going to say, is it important to you? And what's that been like for you? How has that been a, an experience for you in the world? Well, I guess I could almost go into another idea of broaching comes from Leanne, Jim Furrow, Fionn, and Zamed, where they wrote the CARE Framework. And the CARE framework is a way, it's an acronym. We didn't write this acronym, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's C-A-R-E. And the one we're going to only talk about right now is C. And C is context. And so in context, what they're trying to do in is I want to walk in and curiously explore what your world has looked like and how the world that you lived in, how's that, how's that impacted how you're showing up here clinically today? So they will say things like, so, you know, how would you identify, you know, with the, the ethnic or cultural or gender, sexuality kind of variables that are important to you? And what was that like for you in the world that you grew up in? So if you are a person that came from a different sexual orientation and you grew up in a particular area that was not so favorable to you, what was that like for you as that, as that person walking around 
and carrying the story and knowing and hearing the stories around you. What was that like? How has that affected you? You know, and what the key part is, is then you're not assuming marginalization. You get to pull it out as a curious exploration from their story. I really appreciate that. Um, so here's what I want to go back to when you were saying the ditches. I tell this case example sometimes in training. You've heard it. It was a particular time in my practice where I had two black female clients come in with case presentations from different therapists. One came in. I said, what brought you in to see me? I, um, I, I've been struggling with a lot of emotional stuff on the edge of depression, but I also think me being a black woman in this particular region is a significant part of that. But my therapist would never go there and explore that with me. I would bring it up and they would kind of divert the conversation somewhere back to my emotion, but they wouldn't explore the racial component and the marginalization here. Okay. Then I asked the, the second client that came in a couple of weeks later, hey, you're coming in to see me from another therapist. Kind of help me understand what, what, what brought you in to see me. And her story was, me and my kids are going through a lot. I want, to, I want us to be able to get help, and I want to learn how to communicate with them. Um, and, but with the previous therapist, she did a good job of asking us about our experiences being black in this particular area. But she spent a whole lot of time there, and she never got over to the concerns I was having about the emotional struggles and communication issues for my kids. So I needed to help some. I wanted to help someone that could see both parts and help us with both part, both parts. Good, it's good. And what what that requires is is a really flexible therapist mm-hmm. who who recognizes our responsibility to broach, but that broaching is really um, the therapist taking the risk or taking the first risk, but it's an active and curious stance mm-hmm. towards people's experience. Yeah. You know, and even locally, just something that comes to mind for me at the where we're recording this is Northwest Arkansas, and we're about thirty miles as the crow flies, as they say, uh, from Oklahoma. So you talk about a cultural history, and, and one that's not always apparent. So someone can appear to be white, uh, but have quite a history mm-hmm. uh, of horrific heritage, mm-hmm. things that have happened with trauma and racial trauma, even to the point where families and groups are moved to reservations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't ask everybody, you can miss so much. And yeah. yet I think what you're trying to say is I shouldn't consider myself to be uh, an expert in native American heritage and try to force that on someone, but rather broach and be curious. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And then one nugget I'll give from Lisa Palmer Olson trainer out of San Diego uh, is she would say, and be willing, like when you ask this in the first part of therapy, they might not either be aware or maybe feel safe enough to go there, but stick a pin in it because it probably when you start going towards model of self stuff mm-hmm. in stage two, it might pop back up there. And speaking of, I want to go uh, the quote over there on your on your computer, you know, talking about both sides of, of this issue. He's uh, James has a quote up from Resma Minicum. You want to talk about that? Yeah, Resma Minicum wrote a great book called My Grandmother's Hands, where he talks about racial trauma. He's a trauma therapist. And he talks about trauma, not only in black and brown bodies, but he talks about the trauma, particularly in a North American standpoint, uh, in white bodies. And he talks about in police bodies. But one of the things that Resma Minicum said one time, I, and I was like, whoa, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> but uh, the quote says, trauma decontextualized in a people can look like culture. And so that's a very decontextual. If you remove it from its context, then we can just call it culture. But what he's saying is you miss the you can miss the trauma part. Right. 
And so sometimes I want to be careful how I say this, like, well, you know, we just, this is who we are. This right. is how we do things. But sometimes we don't realize that some of the strategies we adopt with emotional strategies can come sometimes from a place of trauma. And so when I think about marginalization, just like what we do with other trauma work, is I want you to be able to reclaim the fullness of your humanity in your experience and not have to give it away as a means of survival in the world. Yeah. It's my least favorite thing that happens in EFT trainings. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a good answer. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, maybe I'll have gotten some more wisdom and figured this out. But it happens probably half the time I'm on the road. I'll be talking about something or showing a video and, and someone will raise their hand, often a person of color, of various colors, mm -hmm. but not always. And that's not always race. Sometimes it's different, um, you know, groups that have a marginalization history. And they'll be like, hey, I love what you're doing. This sounds really awesome. But group X, we don't do vulnerability. We don't do emotion in this in group X, Y, or Z. And I'm in a funny spot as a, as a, a large white male because the last thing I want to do is, is um, speak against what they're saying, which repeats the exact thing. Mm -hmm. marginal. I don't want to marginalize their comment. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I, what I honestly want to say is, yeah, mine either. Mm -hmm. You know, as an athlete, as a as a male, I mean, that that's a trauma response mm -hmm. to not let someone see. We we are all vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. That's a biological fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. None of us are uh, an island of and to themselves. And we all have needs, mm -hmm. and and we all have emotions. Emotions are how your body works. So to not do vulnerability and to not do emotion or not very much, that's a trauma response mislabeled as a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, some people would kind of question this person's theory, but um, and I can't remember her name, forgive me, uh, but she wrote the book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm -hmm. And she was looking at how the historical trauma of slavery uh, Pat was passed, like effects of it intergenerationally, just like how they did uh, research on um, survive, like uh, like maybe third to fourth generation survivors uh, of family members of Holocaust survivors or people who were third to fourth generation um, family members of people during um, the hunger strikes that, you know, Hitler imposed on, on I think, Hungary. Um, and they found like, hey, there are some aspects that we see that are patterns that we can find that go back. But anyway, but what when those people say that is there's, I think there's usually an origin about why a particular group of people at times learn not to do it. And that's why we're saying marginalization. Right. I want you to hear this. What we're saying is there are some people that have societal earned reasons for their protection. Right. So that's a key phrase I use. Right. Societally earned reasons for their protection. And part of what you need to do to help get unstuck is you need to be able to highlight that and validate it explicitly as a therapist. You need to be able to highlight it when it's a part of the story and validate it. Right. validate its existence and the good reasons for it. And that's a good correction of what I've said right there. Thank you for that. Mm. Because not doing vulnerability and not sharing your emotions is also very true in my personal culture with yeah, athletes and white males, but not the same. That's right. That's right. right. So yeah. mine didn't come from slavery. Uh -huh. Mine didn't come from uh, from racism mm -hmm. or, or gender or heterosexism or all, all the ways that people get hurt. 
Right. At least not directly in the same way. Mm-hmm. So we're not. It's not a level playing field. No, no, it's yeah. not level. But I do like what in Resma Menikum's book he would say that the white body does carry racial trauma in it as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. that needs to be made explicit so that right. it can be healed. Right. Anyway, but yeah. still, he would still like. I agree with your term. Right. Yeah. Not the same though. Right. And that's what we talked about on episode three. Like it's everybody can be treated terribly. Everybody can be traumatized. But James, when you walk, we're about one mile from a mall, a shopping mall. You know, you probably have to consider race when you walk in there. Mm-hmm. The person checking me out may be horribly mean to me, but probably not because of my race, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's the, it's everywhere, but it's not everywhere the same. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think we were we were somewhere at a training together, and I had on a hoodie, and I was like, "Should I be walking around out in this strange area with a black hoodie on?" Yep. And all that went through my mind was Trayvon. Yep. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take my hoodie off, and yeah. where's Ryan at? I'm gonna walk by my buddy <laughs> here for a moment. Yes, things I don't have to think about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and the other term I want to go to to be practical too, Ryan. We wrote an article with on this one. It was me, you, George, and Charlie Simpson mm-hmm. uh, on loaded attunement. This is my next practical point, and probably our last one. Um, is the idea of loaded attunement. We want to close, probably close out here. It's while it can be scary, we need you as a therapist to know that there's two sides to this attunement. We do a lot of parts work on here, don't we? But in loaded attunement is there is that potential for the therapist where it can like, oh, am I going to say the wrong thing? Could there be a rupture? But you've already heard us say this a number of times on this podcast. Being a couples therapist, you are always rupturing and repairing. So even if you rupture, you need to repair and just be able to notice that and note it. Um, and then, but also that these moments of, of broaching and going in also can be a great place for potential healing. Even cross-culturally, I think this is something I maybe I haven't said publicly, but I do think part of the way we heal racial trauma is not just James' work only with black clients and Ryan work with the white clients. I think that perpetuates it. But I think when people from across racial lines can have healing experiences across racial lines, it almost does something that recodes the, the and remaps the mind and the body in a way. Um, so I think there's great potential there. So I just want you to know that there's two sides to it. And one great example, if I give a practical example, is with Chad Emhoff, who's an EFT supervisor here with us. Chad was seeing an interracial couple, and he was getting some consultation with me seeing this couple. And Chad, what he did is he knew that there could be a potential rupture as he attuned with this couple, who's a, a black female, white male. And so Chad, he just made it super explicit, going back to where we said get ahead of the cycle. Chad said, hey, I need to do something here. And I know I'm a white male, and I see you as a black female. You know, she, that's how she identified. But I want to make sure I fully get your experience. And I'm going to try it on, and I'm going to talk as though refrain, running your words through my body to take on what that is, because I need your partner to see it. But as I'm doing that, I'm not trying to take your story from you, but I do need to highlight it. But let me know if this is landing funny for you. So he's taking a risk and he's being clear. He's being explicit. He's telling her move. He's telling her his moves and why. And then he does it. And as he comes out of like that proxy kind of summary, he's like, and how is that for you? And she's like, exactly. Thank you. That's it. And it's like she needed like, thank you, Chad, as a white male therapist, as I'm in here with you caught it and you highlighted it. And then Chad takes that moment. He turns to the partner. And what's that like for you? Do you get to see, do you understand, and do you see this part of her? So I was like, great job, Chad. One, making it explicit, taking the risk. And if there was a rupture, Chad would have just had to repair. That's it. It's all about repair. There we go. Even with marginalization.
All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, RyanRaynerTraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.